Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Hey Elevation, Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Luke and along with my beautiful wife Nikki, we are the location pastors here in our northernmost Elevation Church in the wonderful city of Cairns, Uh, a city where I have to tell you, uh, only in the last, what, seven days has it become cool enough for us to switch off the aircon at night and where I would say at about the same time, uh, people have finally started to bust out their winter clothes. And you know what? By winter clothes, I mean we're all wearing socks now with our thongs because it is a chilly 27 degrees and we cannot even deal right now. But hey, I'm so glad you joined us. I'm excited to get into the Word and I pray that it's something that will inspire you and and challenge you to grow um, today in whichever service you are watching. You know, I got to be really honest. um, I got to be real. Uh, I have been missing uh, sports. Uh, I don't know what you've been missing during this 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 shutdown and this pandemic, but I've been missing sports so much. I would give anything to be able to sit down and turn on the TV and watch really any sports. I mean, right now, I would even watch the terrible sports like, you know, like tennis or um, AFL or, uh, uh, you know, give me any of those. I'd watch it because I just like sports. I like watching sports. I like playing sports, right? And how many know, um, though, that it is one thing to be a spectator on the sideline of a sport. It is something completely different, though, when you are uh, on the field, when you're in the game yourself, right? You know, growing up here in the North, I played rugby league and I was a front row forward for my team. Now, the job of front rower is not fancy. It's not um, polished. You don't get to make the plays. You don't get the fancy footwork. You don't definitely don't get to score tries. You get to grab the ball and run as hard as you can and get tackled, and that's it, right? And so uh, I remember one particular game I was playing here in Cairns, and this game stuck out to me because something happened that had never happened before. Uh, I had gotten the ball, and I'd run up, and I'd run towards the line, you know, business as usual. Uh, but this time, f- by some act of providence, some miracle, I, I managed to barge through the first defender, you know, wrestle out of the second defender and palm off the third defender. And then when I looked up, I realized that there was nobody between me and the try line maybe 50 or 60 meters away. Now, as a front rower, this is huge. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my moment. I've never scored a try before. I've never gotten across the line. It's always those guys in the backs. It's never me. And so I'm like, man, I'm going to run this thing down. I, this is my time. This is my moment. I'm about to live my best life. I am going to score a try today. And so I put the foot down and start running as hard as I possibly can. Uh, the unfortunate thing is being a front rower, I am not exactly the fastest player on the field. And it's not long before the defenders are starting to catch up to me. But what am I going to do, man? 
I'd just keep on running. Uh, and then one defender gets so close and I could feel almost like feel him behind me and he reaches out and he manages to grab a hold of the top of my jersey and he's holding on for dear life. And I'm thinking to myself, what am, what am I going to do? Well, man, I just kept on running, right? I, I start to try and stab. I try to, to evade, to kind of knock him off. And you know what? Something good happens. He begins to lose his footing and slip over and start to fall to the ground. The problem is, though, is that as he was falling, he didn't let go. In fact, his hand went from the top of my jersey and slipped down to the bottom of my jersey, but it kept on going. And as the further he went down, the further his hand went down until he grabbed hold of the only other piece of clothing that he could possibly get a hold of, that is the waistline of my shorts, right? Uh, And much to my dismay, he doesn't let go. And so as he continues to go down and said hand is grasping hold of my shorts, uh, when he hits the ground, so do my shorts and underwear. Uh, And I'm in this moment where I'm running, but my backside is on full display to everyone watching this game right now. Now, sometimes in life, you have these moments crystallizing moments, you know, time stands still kind of moments where you have to make a decision in an instant, a decision that may have dramatic consequences uh, and outcomes either way. And here I am, 16 years old, running as hard down the field as I possibly can, trying to score a try with my butt on full display. What am I going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I just kept on running. <laughs> Nothing is going to stop me here. And as, as I continue down the pitch going as fast as I possibly could, uh, due to the fact that I had this player hanging off me, I had my pants halfway around my knees, and uh, I had other players catching up and tackling me, I hit the ground only a few metres short from actually scoring this try. The sheer... Uh, devastation. Let me say this. It is one thing to be a spectator on the sideline. It is a completely different experience to be on the field. And in this particular instance, I don't actually know which one would have been worse. My experience of being embarrassed or everyone else's experience of having to witness that travesty, I'm sure their minds are still scarred from that. But you know what, today, let me say this. When we think about Christianity, Christianity isn't about being a spectator on the sideline. Christianity is all about being a player on the field. Our faith isn't one where When we begin to follow Jesus, uh, we are born again and then we essentially are put to the side in the grandstand and we simply are left to just cheer on what God is doing in the world until we die and go to heaven, right? It's not about that. It's not about being on the sideline. Christianity is all about being in the game. We are actually called and commissioned to be intimately involved and active in what God is actually doing. 
In fact, when we look through the New Testament and we review the different metaphors and images that the writers use to uh, describe and help us to understand this thing called the church, the community of believers together, every metaphor they use connotes participation, it implies contribution and engagement. Uh, We think of the metaphor of the body, that we are the body of Christ. Every part has something to contribute. Every part recedes from another. Uh, We think of the metaphor that we are the bride of Christ, that we are active recipients in and participants of God's redemptive plan. Uh, Another one is we're the family of Christ. But in that, we are tasked to love and serve one another. Uh, The final one would be that we are a holy temple. But in that, each one isn't a bystander, no, but we are all stones, sacred stones set apart and put together perfectly and built up to construct and create this amazing uh, uh, building and this amazing structure. See, Christianity is not a privatized, personal, religious commitment. No, come on. This is about belonging and being part of God's kingdom activity. Uh, Every believer is called in their own way to serve the kingdom of God with their gifts and their talents. But here, you know, is my observation As our nation has been in a lockdown, it's been two months of shutdown, it has placed a real limitation on our ability to fulfill the call of God on our lives and faithfully outwork His mission. I mean, sure, we're all doing the best we can. We're all doing the best we can to love our neighbor and to continue serving where we can and all that kind of stuff. But if we're just being real, practically speaking, it is a huge limitation. Uh, We can't do the things or we haven't been able to do the things that maybe we were doing before. And if we think of it like a sports match, it's almost like somebody has hit timeout And now all of us players are sitting on the bench. We're sitting on the sideline. But to me, it feels like that timeout is starting to come to an end. As we look at the national conversation and what's going on in the news, it just seems to me that it looks like it won't be long before we get back out on the field again. And uh, my concern as a pastor is that although it's been really necessary and logical for us to have a season where we're sitting on the bench, I mean, that's perfectly natural, that's perfectly normal. But my concern is that we might become familiar or even satisfied with being on the bench. Uh, We might become too comfortable with the level of engagement that has been necessary for this season, but isn't the pattern that God is wanting to take us with into the next season. My concern is that we could, if we're not careful, succumb to the temptation of becoming 
a bench warmer. Someone who simply sits on the bench and never gets back out on the field again. And see, here's the thing, right? Sitting on the bench, becoming a bench warmer, it's pretty tempting. <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, when you're sitting on the bench, there is no risk of getting hurt. There's no risk of injury. There's no risk of strain. It's pretty low risk. Uh, when you're on the bench, it's it, it, there's a level of comfort and convenience there. I mean, it's, it's very comfortable. Um, you know, you're still part of the team, but you don't have the responsibility of having to win the game because you're on the bench. You cheer them on. It's like, you guys are doing a great job. Let's do this, right? But it's not on you. It's on somebody else. Moreover, when you're on the bench, there's very limited personal cost. And if your goal as a believer, if your perspective as a Christian is one in which you're all about self-preservation, you're all about self, uh, about comfort and convenience, then you know what? Uh, being a bench warmer in the next season is a pretty alluring thing. But what I want to say today, what I want to remind us of in this sermon is the fact that God has not called us to be bench warmers. Uh, God has called us to get back out onto the field. God has called us uh, not to be all about our self-preservation, but to be all about His kingdom. Because here's the thing, right? The game isn't won from the bench. Uh, the reign of Jesus and the expansion of the kingdom of God in our world, it doesn't happen from the bench. Uh, poverty and crime in our communities, in our cities, it isn't brought to an end uh, from the bench. Uh, our, our, uh, the hope of the gospel and people surrendering their lives to Him, to Jesus, it doesn't happen when everyone is on the sideline. You see, most importantly, and what holds all of these things together is simply this, is that the body or the community of believers that gathers, that God-ordained hub that meets on a weekly basis where we are encouraged, where we are inspired, where we are equipped to go out and live out this kingdom and bring transformation to our world, right? That central hub that sets up everything else, the ripple effect through our society, it doesn't happen when people are sitting on the bench. It happens when you and I choose to step up and get back out on the field again, using the gifts and talents that God has called us in order to serve Him and His kingdom. See, and as we look forward now to the reopening of our churches, as we look forward now to when we can gather in person again, thank you, Jesus, it won't be too long in the future, we have got a decision to make, church. Are we going to decide to be a bench warmer or are we going to decide to get back in the game? We're going to sit on the sidelines and just wait for someone else to do what's needed in this next season? Or are we going to take personal responsibility for the call of God, for the giftings He's given us, and then put our hand up and say, you know what, for this next season, whatever it takes, 
God, whatever you're wanting and, and you know, whatever is needed, I am there because I'm here to serve and build God's kingdom in the world. And so in this time we have together, I want us to look at a, a parable of Jesus and tease out some points that hopefully will inspire you and challenge you today to make a decision to get back in the game. Uh, my hope and prayer is that from today, you would be uh, ready to pursue a fresh vision again, uh, that you would feel a sense of a fresh vigor or a fresh passion uh, for the kingdom and call of God that is on your life as an individual, but also on our churches collectively. And so let's have a look. Matthew chapter 13, that's where we're going to read from, from verse 45. And the parable we're looking at is called the parable of the pearl of great price. And so if you're scrolling there, uh, you can do, you know, you got your coffee in your hand quickly, flip there on your phone, whatever it might be, and uh, flip there on your phone. It's almost like I'm talking about a, a flip phone. Scroll there on your phone, swipe there, whatever. Go there, right? And let's read it together. Matthew chapter 13, verse 45. This is what it says. And this is Jesus speaking. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. And that's it. <laughs> that's the parable. Short, sweet, easy, right? Although it's small, we could literally commit an entire preaching series to unpacking what Jesus is talking about in this parable. But the question that we need to ask ourselves today is what is Jesus trying to communicate to us about his kingdom through this parable? What is Jesus trying to say to us about his kingdom through this parable? Because if we can understand this, I believe it will impact our heart, which will then influence our decision to get back in the game again. Now, Jesus constructed this parable very, very carefully. It is not by accident or by random chance that he thought, oh, you know what would be good, a merchant and a pearl. No, he chose those things specifically. See, we might think of a pearl and go, well, you know, a pearl's nice, but a, a single pearl is not really worth all that kind of all that much money, right? Uh, I mean, I looked on Google before and on eBay and you can pick up a, a pearl for about a hundred bucks or so. I mean, it may or may not be authentic, but that's besides the point, right? Uh, you, for a hundred bucks, it's, it's pretty cheap. But in the ancient world, a pearl was considered to be something, uh, a material possession worth more than anything else. Uh, it was of supreme value. In fact, Pliny, uh, the, the Roman author uh, writes about Cleopatra VII, uh, you know, the Cleopatra, who possessed two pearls, which were apparently the largest in the world at that time. And those pearls, Pliny writes, were valued at 10 million sesterces. And he, he writes, man, these are incredible. Now, in today's currency, I mean, it's impossible for us to make an accurate comparison. But if we were to take the amount of silver in 10 million sesterces and 
uh, put that against the price of silver today, uh, that would work out roughly to be about 12.5 million Australian dollars of pearls. I mean, that is expensive. I don't know what, you know, husbands, you bought your wife maybe for, you know, uh, uh, your last anniversary, but I very much get $12.5 million on jewelry, right? That's, whew, that's a lot. And so Jesus does this intentionally. What is he trying to communicate to us through this parable? What's he revealing? And this is my first point for us today, is that the kingdom of God, this is what he's saying, the kingdom of God is not just anything. The kingdom of God is everything. Uh, The kingdom of God is not just anything, but the kingdom of God is worth everything. Uh, that what God has done in Jesus Christ and by us being followers of Him, a participant in His kingdom, man, that is worth far more than anything else we could seek or possess or pursue in this life. He's trying to communicate to us that when we discovered this kingdom, when we made a decision to invite Christ into our life, we discovered the most important thing, the most amazing thing, the most significant thing that we could possibly find as human beings. And see, the problem is when you're sitting on the bench, it's very easy to forget. It's very easy to forget about the value and the importance of what it is we've found and what we've been invited into. It can be easy to forget that when we started following Jesus, uh, we found freedom. We found hope. We were filled with a joy that was just inexplainable. We found a relationship with our Creator. We found redemption and forgiveness of our sins. We found a new identity in Christ. We were turned into or made into a new creation. We were given a a purpose and a plan. We were uh, uh, restored and healed and, and, and God did an amazing work in us and we have been invited into participating now in this kingdom. Come on, we found a source of meaning like no other in all the universe. This is the pearl of great worth. We didn't just find something, we found everything. And I love it because I believe Paul the Apostle understood this so well. He writes of this in Philippians 3, 7 and 8, and I'm going to read it here. He says, I once thought that these things, talking about his pursuits, his achievements, his uh, identity as a, as a Pharisee and as, a, as an expert in the law. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Come on, I want to 
challenge and inspire and encourage you today, Elevation Church, that when you are deciding whether to get back in the game or not, can I remind you that you will not find any purpose or any call that is greater than is more of a joy and a privilege than knowing and following Jesus and serving Him in whatever manifestation that looks like. Come on, we didn't just find anything. We found Everything, which leads me to the second thought that I pull from this parable is that the kingdom of God, it requires a radical response. The kingdom of God, it requires a radical response. Jesus says that this merchant, he sold everything. He sold the lot. It was a fire sale in order to acquire this one pearl. Now, when you study this parable, when you understand the literary genre and the context and the audience that Jesus was speaking in, what his purpose was in telling the parables, it becomes very clear that this parable is not about selling everything you have. Uh, This isn't a parable about possessions. Uh, This is a parable about priorities. Let me say that again. Some of you were breathing a sigh of relief after I said possessions, but the stakes actually got raised even higher. This isn't a parable about possessions. This is a parable about priorities. And what Jesus is saying to us is that this kingdom demands a radical, it commands a radical response that you and I wouldn't just make Jesus and his kingdom, a priority, but the priority. That it wouldn't just be an option, but it would be the only option. That you and I wouldn't just uh, uh, allow, or let me put it this way, that we would choose to be obedient and we would follow Jesus and then we would let that rise to the top of our whole list of priorities and place in second anything that tries to deliberately hinder that from being the case. Come on, God is calling us to pursue Him and and gain Him and advance His kingdom in our world. Let me read you just a short snippet. Uh, that really summarizes what these, this parable here is all about. And this is a commentary from a, a, a biblical scholar named uh, Klein Snodgrass. And he says this, he says, our relationship with God is the most important part of life. This is what we learn from the parable. All other pursuits are trivial by comparison. It is clear too that we cannot be focused on our things and still do justice to God's kingdom. God's call, God's call trumps all else in life, and it is worth it. We also need to realize what time it is. If the kingdom is present, a radical response is needed now. If the kingdom is worth all we have, then joy and celebration should accompany our finding and involvement with the kingdom. The problem with most of us is that we would like a little of the kingdom as an add-on to the rest of our lives. We want to hedge our bets, but you cannot hedge your bets with the kingdom. This parable urges us to abandon what we thought was the focus of life and focus entirely on what God is doing with 
the kingdom. You know, today, Elevation Church, my prayer, my hope is that we would not simply be a people that would settle for being a bench warmer. That we wouldn't even be a people that chooses, you know what, all right, I'm going to get back out on the field again. But that we would be a people that would uh, uh, begin to ask the questions. That we would, would not settle for just what we have always done in the past, but we would begin to ask God the question and say, God, this thing, it matters. Your kingdom, it matters. What you are doing, it's not just a priority, it is the priority. In this next season of my life, what do you want me to do? In this next season of our church community, what role am I called to play? Is it more? Is there something else I can give? Is there something else you are asking of me? My life is on the altar for you to use in whatever way you see fit. My prayer is that we wouldn't settle, but we would choose to live the life that God has called us to live. Uh, my prayer right now is, and what I want to do is call us up as, as locations, as a church right across Australia and say, come on, in this next season, let's not come back lethargic. Let's not come back sort of dragging our feet, but let's let God begin to prepare our hearts. We aren't open yet. We're not ready to go yet. But in this moment, Let's let God prepare our hearts so that we come back passionate. We come back on fire. We come back determined. We come back full of vision. We come back ready to go because this kingdom, man, it's got to move forward. There are people that need to know Jesus. There are cities that need to be transformed. There are lives that need to be changed. And God is looking for His team to step up to the plate and be all that He has called us to be. Come on, what are you going to do? What decision are you going to make? Are you going to be a bench warmer or are you going to choose to get out on the field again? Let me pray for you today. Father, I just want to thank you for every person right now, right across all our locations, right across the nation. Father, I thank you that you've called us to so much more, that although this might be a season of being on the bench, it's not forever and that the next season will come and God, you've got so much good in store for us as individuals and as a church community. I pray that today, that Spirit of God, you would speak to and inspire and, and, and stir and encourage every person to not be a bench warmer, God, but to get out on the field again. Lord, we know that your kingdom is not just anything, it's everything. And we want our response to be radical. We want you to be the number one priority. So God, I pray that your grace is released for this task, for this great work, right across all our locations, all our people today. In Jesus' name, amen.